Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast which will explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from the Star Wars Universe podcast. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 78, which begins with the Bifrost doing Bifrost things and ends with S.H.I.E.L.D. agents doing S.H.I.E.L.D. agent things. Joining us the show today is every day this week, we have Miles Stokes and Elizabeth Alley from the podcast Thor, The Lightning and the Storm. Uh, Miles and Elizabeth, um, so we talked about uh, kind of how you got into comic books. Tell us about Thor. What, where, where do you first encounter Thor and kind of how, how did you come to be big fans of his? Uh, for me, that comes straight from my dad, the same place as X-Men. He had Walter Simonson's run on Thor in its entirety, gave it to me when I was young, and I fell in love. And that was weird because I was otherwise strictly an X-Men kid. This was my only foray into the Avenger side of the Marvel Universe. But that run was so strong. That prose was so delightfully purple and just so gloriously epic that I... I dug it from then on and have uh, followed Thor on and off since. Uh, Jason Aaron's run recently was incredible, certainly, as well. But it's really that Simonson run that uh, made me a, a Thor, Thor lever. No, that portmanteau is a portmanteau too far. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it was really miles. I mean, I had grown up reading comics. I worked in comics for several years when when I was at Things from Another World and Miles was at Dark Horse. I remember stopping by his area and he had a Walter Simonson, you know, signature. And I was like, oh, it kind of looks like a dinosaur, you know, like, oh, cool. But and I had guested on um, Explain the X Men a couple of times. So when he came up with the idea for this podcast, he like wrote me this email. It was basically like, "I love this. You know, we've done this in the past. Like, do you want to join me on this journey?" And I was like, "Yes, of course I do." You know, and and for me, it was one of those things where you know that it's something you should read. You know, it's like Neil right. Gaiman or any of these things or War and Peace. There's there's these pillars of comic book literature and Walter Simonson's Thor is one of those, but I never sat down to read it because it seems, you know, it's, it's big. You're like, I, I need to have time for this. I need to be able to really absorb it. And these like 14 weeks was my time to do it. And I, I just delighted in it. It was, it was wonderful. And since then I've, I've read pretty much all of the Jason Aaron Thor as well. And it's, it's, it's not something that's as close to my heart as the X-Men, but I do have quite a fondness for it. And I do get to revisit it from time to time. Nice. Well, and do I understand the chronology right? So that Miles, you started reading the comics before this movie came out, but Elizabeth, so if I understand when the podcast happened, you had, you had probably seen the movie before you started then reading the comics. Yes. And it totally transformed my view of the movies because I had seen the first two you know, beforehand. And I, there are certain things in the comics that unfortunately made the dark world even worse, but which (laughs) since I do feel that movie has really been redeemed by Endgame. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. Malekith the Accursed, amazing character, or I guess a cursed, you could also say that Uh, amazing character in the comics. I love Christopher Eccleston as an actor. What happened? Two great tastes that do not taste great together. Someone said, we feel bad about how we misused Idris. Let's misuse an actor even worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and, and that, uh, I will keep these intros going as long as we possibly can. Uh, Miles, for you, what was it like seeing the Thor movie for the first time, having known the character so well beforehand from the comics? I There was a brief period of time where I tried to keep my expectations in check and then just utterly failed. Like, after the first trailer, I was in. I was ready to be delighted or crushed, and there was no potential middle ground. And so watching the movie, 
uh, and seeing that first shot as the camera soars through Asgard, like, I made embarrassed, embarrassing noises of just joy <laughs> and emotion as that was happening. Like, you know, in retrospect, Thor isn't the strongest Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, but as a Thor fan, finally getting to see these these things that had been so close to my heart for so long, it was an incredible experience, and the actors just sold the hell out of it. The, the visuals were glorious, uh, the characters were at least the central ones, they captured the important parts, and I loved it. Like, I, I saw it again and again and again. Oh, that's great to hear. I, I love hearing that because, you know, I mean, negativity is almost always what will rise to the top on, on social media. And and we so often see that, like, when there is an adaptation of something, which, which we know was like Cowboy Bebop or The Eternals, you mostly get the criticism of like, oh, but this isn't right from the comics. This isn't right from the comics. So I just love hearing when people can love both. Uh, and we would hear a lot more of your thoughts uh, just after this. Are you familiar with Patreon? Well, like many podcasters out there, we are big fans of Patreon. We find it to be a great platform for all of our fans to support us by becoming patrons. We have now upgraded our site, though, to their memberful platform. That allows us to build our patron support platform right into our very own site. So if you've been thinking about becoming a patron to show your love for the show, but you weren't sure about it as you can't find us on Patreon, just know we are, in fact, using their platform. You can learn more at memberful.com. They make it so easy. Visit truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute, and you can find out what we offer to our patrons. It's only $5 a month, or you can get a discount if you join at the annual rate. All right, well, this is a nice, boring moment. There's not really much to talk about. Um, Sarcasm mode turned off. Yeah, there's so much that happens in this minute. Uh, What are the things that kind of leap out at both of you? Or all three of you. One, why is Loki looking at Bifrost? Like, he must have had some inkling. It's like he was waiting for this to happen. And I think it is Loki's own self-fulfilling prophecy. What does Loki want? He he wants power, yes. But what he wants is loyalty and acceptance and acknowledgement that, that he is worthy. And what does he get? He, he never gets any of that. Thor still has it. He knows Thor still has it. He's he's just waiting for them to prove him right so he can throw more of a tantrum. Yeah, seeing that look of cold fury on Loki's face as he just sharply turns and walks away, it's not surprise. It's just confirmation of exactly what you were saying, Elizabeth. Like, he, yeah. he, he, there was probably a part of him that was hoping this wouldn't happen, but he kind of knew it had to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I love the idea that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because I, I don't know Heimdall's heart, but I have to imagine... If Heimdall wasn't sure if he was going to do this, the conversation he had with Loki, where Loki's like, don't, don't do anything to, like, upset me, is exactly what Heimdall made him think. Cool, I'm going to let them go, you know? So, yeah, it's very much, and this seems to be very much, uh, you know, the whole point, Loki's whole concern was that he thought Thor, he wanted to expose that Thor was, wasn't going to be a good king. Guess what, Loki? You started the process by which Thor becomes a good king. Like, this is very much a theme for him. It does make me wonder how long Loki has been uh, standing here watching, <laughs> you know, because it's like, because he was, uh, I mean, last time we saw him with Heimdall was uh, when he comes back, as I said in the last minute, from Jotunheim. Um, and, and I mean, he had already had the conversation with the Warriors 3 and Sip when they came to talk to him when he was on the throne. 
He'd already had his moment sitting by, uh, you know, Odin's side with Frigga. And so there were all these moments, but like that moment with Heimdall is like, is that the moment where he's just like convinced now Heimdall's going to betray him? Does he have spies around? Like, is that Ein Harry Argard who, who came and let them know that Heimdall, um, wanted to see them right away? Is he a spy and he went and told them or told Loki that Heimdall had called them? Like exactly what is the impetus that gets Loki out here watching? Or is he just here? Like he has been here, like since he got back, just completely convinced that something is up. I, I I find it very curious. All of that. It's like he got rid of Thor, but now what he has is not satisfying without Thor. So it's almost like he's waiting for something so he can engage with Thor again. You know, it's like a toxic ex who still wants to fight with you, even yeah, though you've gone, exactly. you've done what they want. They still, they still need that hit. Well, of course, yeah, because like, I still want to be engaged in some way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's such a perfect way to describe it. Uh, well, let's, let's back up a bit and just kind of go through this uh, minute uh, as it begins. So we start with the the Bifrost kind of lighting up again. And Andy, I know you love pointing out, like, every time we see the Bifrost, it looks a little bit different. What do, what do you see specifically about how it how it turns on this time? Well, I mean, again, last time we pointed out the fact that it's it's doing it by itself. I, I guess that Heimdall had programmed it ahead of time so that his sword would turn it on. We see that fantastic kind of lightning shoot out, light up the whole observatory. We don't actually see it go through the whole process. We don't actually see the turret start spinning and drop down to open up uh, the, 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 the bridge so that they can actually go through it. We actually see that, uh, I guess, kind of from a perspective when we're up with Loki. But otherwise, it's, it's, it is kind of just a moment where it's doing it on its own, which is an interesting element within it, that there is this kind of auto function, I guess we would call it. And I appreciate that we don't see that scene every single time. It's not like a Saturday morning cartoon that reuses the same footage of Sailor Moon transforming to just to fill out the mm-hmm. episode every time because it's already paid for. Like, we as the audience, like, oh, we know how the Bifrost works. And so when it then cuts to Loki watching the thing actually happen from another perspective, oh, that is a new emotional take on it. That's not just look at this cool Asgardian tech, but that's look what this cool Asgardian tech doing its thing means to this character on an emotional level. Yeah, I like that a lot. That it's not only that it, that it's different, but we're seeing it through different eyes each time, which is I, I think pretty pretty important. And and I love also I mean, there's something I, I find very intriguing just watching it from the perspective of Loki way up high in the palace, watching from like a balcony, because you realize I mean I mean Asgard's not a huge place, but again, just seeing that little tiny dot way out on the, you see the 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 narrow narrow line of the Bifrost leading out of the city to uh, to Heimdall's observatory, and just that little tiny line kind of turns on and extends. It's it's like I don't know I find it really gratifying to kind of see it from that perspective that okay that's what the bifrost looks like when it you know when it turns on from this far away it's you know just a barely noticeable little thing it's like an everyday convenience and that's why it seems so weird that loki saw it because it would have been so easy for him to miss it unless he was waiting for it and this really also just makes me want to see more of asgard like if i have one complaint with this movie on a purely selfish level i just want to see what asgard looks like i want to see its culture i want to see its geography i want to get a sense of it as as a place because everything is so beautifully visually done and so getting a chance to see more of the visuals, but also what they represent, how they connect would be a lot of fun. That's actually one thing I do enjoy a little bit about Thor The Dark World is that we get a bit more of a sense of Asgard as a place people actually live. 
Well, and my understanding is that it has been confirmed that Matt Damon is in the credits for Thor Love and Thunder. So I think we'll be seeing more of the theatrical scene of, uh, you know, what the theater is like, as we've seen Matt Damon as an actor playing Thor. Um, so, so definitely a, more of that will be coming. Uh, so the other thing I, w- I would just say about Loki is that for me, I get such a sense of how alone he is. You know, he is up there on that that balcony. I don't. I wish I knew what was happening between him and Frigga by now, because Frigga did seem like she is support. She doesn't blame him. Uh, she was supporting him last time we knew. We don't know what is happening with him now. Um, but like Heimdall's obviously not supporting him. Odin's gone. You get the sense that the guards and stuff don't really trust him. Like it's kind of a deservedly so. But you, you get like this movie feels like it's Loki's origin story as much as it's Thor's, and this is like. He's he he's done that self-fulfilling prophecy of he doesn't trust anyone, so he's cut everyone off. He has pushed everyone away, and now he just can turn inward. Yeah, and just the confirmation of knowing that, you know, five of the maybe six or seven or eight most important people in your life have all teamed up to turn against you specifically. Like, it's the ultimate example of, oh, all of my friends got invited to this party, but nobody invited me. Like, what a blow. You don't forget, you forget that you were kind of a jerk, but like, are you going to invite me? Are you going to invite me? Are you going to invite me? And like, of course I didn't invite you. <laughs> right. So so where is he going when he strides out? Is his plan just to walk all the way over to where to where Heimdall is? I mean, that's it's it's interesting because, I mean, he definitely strides out with purpose. Like he sees the Bifrost, uh, you know, click on. He sees it, it it activate and he knows what's happening. I mean, I, I really don't think there's any surprise. I also think that Heimdall is watching him. Like, I think Heimdall knows what that Loki is seeing this. And uh, so, yeah, I my my sense would be that he is now going to go confront Heimdall at the Bifrost. And so if anything, I feel like what we're about to see is actually more of a surprise uh, because it's it would wouldn't have been my my immediate thought. Yeah, no, I, I will we'll get to that more in the, the next minute, certainly. But the fact that it's almost like Loki knew this was going to happen. He already had a plan. He already had this script written out in his head. And that look on his face is just the disappointment that, oh, I was right. See, I wouldn't have it. And I didn't expect him to go to Heimdall because he already knows that Heimdall has betrayed him. So he has some other Loki backup plan to go above Heimdall because he knows Heimdall has just cut himself off from Loki. Right. Which we will see that yeah. he has a plan of a more destructive nature, if I can say. <laughs> uh, but we'll, we'll get to in future <laughs> minutes. No spoilers for a 11-year-old movie. So let's cut to the desert now. And now we get the Warriors 3. And here's a question that, that, uh, that I do want to know from the comics, because we've gone back on it, forth on it so often. Does the Bifrost have just basically like train stations on every planet where like, you know, Jotunheim, you always land on the edge of this one cliff. Here you always land like in the desert, used to land in Norway. Now you land in the desert outside of Penta Antigua. Do they have some control over it? What, Andy, you and I have been going back and forth on this. So from you or from um, folks you know from the comics, what, what controls where on Midgard you land? As is the answer to so many comic book questions. It's inconsistent. Uh, there have been times when you have to go to a certain place to find the Bifrost to get to Asgard. There have been times when it works uh, like the way it does in the movies, where Heimdall can just grab you. Uh, there have been times when that can be from wherever. That can, there have been times when it's more like the Matrix, where you have to get to a certain spot. Uh, it's really all over the place. Um, my my favorite Bifrost memory, which also happens in the movies, is actually from Walter Simonson's run, which is where during the war with Surtur, 
the Bifrost is shattered. And because it exists across all of the nine realms, there are these little rainbow fragments raining down upon Earth, which is just this devastating, tragic, very colorful scene. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it's kind of just, you know, pick your own version of the continuity. Okay. Makes sense. That's that's a frustrating element because in this particular film, it definitely seems like each planet has their Bifrost junction, right? I mean, when they go to Jotunheim, it's always the edge of that cliff that they they come to and they right. arrive at. That's always the place where the Bifrost stops. So far on on Midgard, it always seems to be this particular spot in the desert. I mean. I'm assuming that this is exactly the same spot that Thor arrived. It very much looks, the landscape looks the same, and there will be another arrival soon that also looks very identical. The only thing that really has looked different is where Mjolnir landed, and, you know, our presumption at the time is that it, you know, it kind of fell out of the Bifrost as it was landing, or as it was coming down, which kind of, you know, is the reason that it landed farther away from where Thor had actually touched down. But otherwise, it really does always seem to be in these particular spots. Now, that definitely changes over the course of the films, because eventually, like, you know, they're, uh, you know, Heimdall is able to uh, grab people in different spots. He drops Hulk in into uh, Doctor Strange's place. It's like, you know, it, it it seems to be kind of all over the place. And so I think they do evolve that even in the in the films. That's uh, eventually. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I had to, to no prize it, to use the old Marvel term, um, you know, each time characters after Thor come to Midgard, it's because they are coming after Thor specifically. So I could see that being like, you know, maybe we have a hundred different Bifrost stations on Earth, but this is the one that is relevant to everything that's going on right now. Yeah, but certainly because for me, the question always comes about is like, you know, it's not the natives of the southwest of what is now the United States that have these mythologies about Thor and Odin and Loki. It's the people in Norway, thousands and thousands of miles away. And I, I, I think my favorite theory is that um, you know, Odin knows you drop him in Norway or Iceland, the people there are going to have a pretty good chance of being like, oh, okay, Thor's back. We, you know, our grandparents have been telling us these stories. Uh, throw in the desert, you know, maybe not so much. Right. If you're going to put your kid in time out, you put them in the corner, not in the local video arcade. Uh, at least back when video arcades existed. Yeah, that's how we're going to put it. <laughs> Uh, well, no one in town seems to pay much attention to this, but at least the um, the the people at Shield definitely notice. Uh, Andy, what's going on at the Shield Crater Base when the uh, this hell happens? Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely something uh, something interesting is happening. I mean, and we see when we just saw the Warriors Three and Sif arrive. I mean, it does feel like there's some of the rainbow coming down. There's dust and wind everywhere, and. As we see from the S.H.I.E.L.D. computer, it looks like their monitor has created a visualization of it. And it looks like, you know, (laughs) kind of a big tube coming down out of the sky and depositing the people here, um, which is very interesting the way that the monitor actually does this visualization. It's interesting if you try to read some of the text on the screen, just some of the words that I caught, integral field geometry, Profile, gamma radiation, which I thought was interesting. Alternative event horizon up at the very top of it. Something that looks like it said exotic matters structure, and then something else that looks like space-time ventilator. And then a few other uh, words around the screen. I couldn't tell something about a wormhole. So that makes me think S.H.I.E.L.D. has a sense there is some sort of a wormhole type of thing 
involved in what is happening here. I find it interesting that somehow gamma radiation is involved in all of this. Um, but yeah, I guess it's it's some thing that they have that is actively now that they know something is happening here in New Mexico and based on Jane's research, I think they're actively working on trying to figure out, you know, is there some type of a wormhole event that continues to kind of open up and stuff. And so uh, they seem to be have something that's that's able to kind of monitor this stuff at this point. It is definitely interesting. And, and I mean, we know that another part of S.H.I.E.L.D. is tracking down gamma radiation happening at Culver University, you know, right as we speak, because the events of the, the Hulk movie are happening at the same time. Yeah, and it does always make you wonder because, you know, I, there's a lot of stuff that's happening in these early movies where later movies either, like we've talked a lot about, like, did the people know writing this movie know that Hela and Ragnarok were coming? Because it certainly makes Odin critiquing Thor for doing what Odin was doing with Hela, you know, because, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, at this point, it certainly seems like this is S.H.I.E.L.D.'s first interaction with interstellar stuff. Um, of course, we know from Captain Marvel that actually Coulson himself was doing it 20 years, 20 years earlier, but we don't know. And But yeah, the, their computer model picks up on a wormhole pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting to kind of think about what, what do those computers know and what's actually, what are they actually figuring out here? Was it the gamma radiation this whole time? Is this why Thor and Hulk have this, you know, camaraderie? I mean, it kind of makes it kind of makes sense, though. Like, if you have all of these events happening simultaneously, like, yes, there was the Captain Marvel thing, which obviously was not in the continuity at this point. But if you have S.H.I.E.L.D. just dealing with all of the initial Marvel movies happening at the same time, I could see them assuming, oh, these things must all be related, as opposed to, no, it's just a really eventful couple of years, it turns out. Well, and they do, not much in, in a movie that's a lot sooner coming, they, they go back into this idea that gamma radiation is connected to interstellar, you know, gateways and portals and all, because Bruce Banner is called in during Avengers not to be the Hulk, but because they're trying to find the Tesseract and, and the gateway it's opening and that gamma ration is a part of that. So I, gamma ration feels like it's becoming kind of just the, the, um, Oh, the not the McDougal. What's the word for MacGuffin. MacGuffin. Yeah, MacGuffin. Yes. It, it, it's kind of the scientific MacGuffin at this point yes. of the MCU. It's the Absolutely. unstable molecules of the MCU at this moment. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so Coulson comes in, and and I do love that. Uh, you know, everyone seems to be kind of stressing out, and uh, the 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 computers are going haywire, and they're like, I, "It just landed. It's about fifteen miles northwest." And his response is just, "Let's go take a look." You know, just as though this was like. Yeah, the newspaper boy dropped the paper in the wrong yard. You know, he's so casual about mm-hmm. this. Underrated actor, underrated character. Also, I do want to point out when they go to take a look, those are some exceptionally clean shield mobiles for being black oh cars gosh. in the desert. <laughs> yes. Right. The black Acura. I was like, have we gone into a car commercial? And the answer is yes. But also, like, it was very like, way to try to be inconspicuous, but be completely conspicuous. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of product placement happening here, which is fitting because uh, tomorrow we're going to talk about a deleted scene that has the most egregious product placement with an actual <laughs> like description of it given. But we'll we'll get to that in a bit. But yeah, I, we, we've commented a lot. I, I love uh, Coulson so much in this movie because part of what I really get out of, we were talking about how in the two Iron Man movies, he, he, kind of comes across a little bit like a clampet, you know, like he he's competent, but he's always kind of insecure. He's always kind of under someone's thumb. And, you know, there's always that person who 
when someone else is around that makes them insecure, they they struggle. But when that person's gone, they can shine. And that's I feel like you get Coulson away from Tony Stark. Now he's in control. Now he's confident. There's just such a different side of him. Yes. I mean, he's using it to bully poor Jane and condescend to Thor, but, you know, it's it's all good. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, there's a bit more like evil, you know, men in black, big government, big brother type stuff here happening. It's not, we're not great, but it, it's still fun to see a different side of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy, anything else about kind of the way the computer scene happens before they kind of jump into the cars? Um, well, just the only other thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, we've got uh, Agent Coulson, Agent Sitwell, and our techie, uh, Blake, here. And what I what I found really interesting is that the techie points out these massive energy readings that then just disappeared. And this whole thing happened 15 miles due northwest. Okay, so I just have to do some, some computing here because this is one of those inconsistencies in the script that I think is frustrating. The hammer, as we heard from our townies uh, who told Thor when they were in Isabella's diner, the the crater impact site was 50 miles west of town. And so that's where this crater base is. And this massive energy reading where the Warriors 3 and SIF were just deposited is about 15 miles due northwest of where we are now. So that puts that puts all of this even further away from Puente Antiguo, which I've got to start getting a little frustrated with the, the writing in some of this because Eventually, next week, you know, we'll have uh, another character arrive, and you can see it from town. You can see it arriving, like the Bifrost and everything is 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 right outside of town. It's really not that far. So the fact that now suddenly this is like eighty five miles out of town, I I think that there's some writing inconsistencies with the mileage that they did here. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Those are the sorts of things that. Uh, you know, we've talked about kind of the inconsistencies within the comics, and here we are, inconsistencies within the film. It is what it is. I suppose this is one of those things that comes up when we are scrutinizing a movie this very closely. If you're sitting there in a theater, <laughs> yeah. you're like, oh, I'm not going to think about the details. I'm just going to think about, you know, how hot Idris Elba is or how amazing that special effect is. But here we're like, no, no, no. In this specific <laughs> minute, let's talk about the mileage. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. exactly. Yeah, it, it is definitely a, a, a product of this level of analysis. But also, as I've pointed out, I, I think that if you make this movie today, you don't make that mistake. Like, I, I think tw- it's funny to think how different movie making was and, you know, just how different social media was. If you make this movie today, people are tweeting about it like three hours after it's released. You know, they weren't thinking about making that level. Cause they don't, imagine nuts like us would have this much fun dissecting in this much detail. So it's always got a thing to remember, like, they didn't think anyone would care this much, you know, when they did a movie only 11 or 12 years ago. I, I hate to tell you, but I have a feeling that people in the world of production, there are so many, so many hands in the process mm-hmm. that I guarantee there are still things that get uh, missed and left. And, and you know, these sorts of things will still be out there for people like us to find. So oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. And, 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 and I will say to some extent, like, I might be about to be thrown out of the minute by minute community entirely here. So I, if so, I, I've enjoyed my run. <laughs> I, I, I am a believer that if you can tell a better story sometimes, if, if there's a like, I want this story beat to happen, but I've created this thing on a map that's not going to perfectly fit. I'm okay if you do that. Like, it, it is fun to point out, but I'm also kind of like, you know, let, let, let just the story happen there. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh- 
I think that's very true. I mean, and, and filmmakers will tell you that all the time. I mean, there's continuity, but sometimes, you know, in order to keep something uh, lined up in continuity, as far as like the position of an actor's hand holding a particular object, um, sometimes they opt to not have continuity because the emotional beat is stronger if they cut it a different way. And so absolutely. I mean, I think you're 100% right. I think it's just one of those things that, you know, when you're analyzing it the way we are, we will end up picking up a lot more on all those little moments. Perfect grammar does not a beautiful poem make, you know, going exactly (laughs) by the rules does not make art. Exactly. I think it's very true. It's very true. As someone who cannot color within the lines, (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, Well, then we we cut to a man who clearly has had way too many conversations about in-depth details, also an awful lot of uh, wine and alcohol. Uh, Mr. Eric Selvig, clearly very hungover, dropping half an alcohol seltzer into a glass of water. And and I just love, like... It's never commented on. Like, there isn't the sort of classic, like, a loud noise is made and he grimaces. It's so subtle, but, like, you you watch the way he's moving. He's t- he's just so hungover. <laughs> oh, Stellan. The thing I notice with this is the way that Darcy watches him through the scene. It's it's kind of a peculiar thing. Like, she really seems to be analyzing him. And, and we'll certainly talk about this more next time when we talk about the deleted scene as well. But, like, Darcy, like, she, when he drops the Alka-Seltzer in, like, her smile fades. And she, like, does a full-on head turn to him. Like, I, I'm, I'm not really sure what her reaction is. Just, like, it's almost like, I don't know if it's shock or just, like, Is this this how bad it is for you? Like, I'm not sure what it is, but it's really interesting the way that she really is paying attention to him in this particular uh, scene. Mm -hmm. She's like, is this what it's like to be old? Like, is this (laughs) what in my future? Like, what is happening? Because Darcy clearly thinks that over 25 is old. Oh, yeah. Um, Definitely. Definitely. To me, it kind of makes sense, though, because, you know, she's basically a college. She's just a college intern. And this guy is kind of like, you know, she's working for Jane. This guy is kind of Jane's, you know, uber boss, manager. This is kind of like slash her boss slash the the parent on the field trip that they're on. That's not the person who's supposed to get hung over. Like, you know, you can see this is a real kind of odd moment for her. She's suddenly been let into the grown-up world. You know, mm-hmm. like, she's out of school. This is for school, but it's turned from school to, like, a real-life situation for Yeah, her. there's this sort of, yeah. uh, this, like, flattening of the hierarchy between Jane, Darcy, and, uh, I, I just keep calling Eric. him Skarsgård. Eric. Eric. Yeah, Selvig. Yes. Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, they've all been brought into this uh, this situation that is equally new to all of them. Like, yes, some of them might have more scientific or mythological background, but they are they are the Scooby Gang with Thor. You know, they're they're no mm-hmm. longer like this uh, this strict yeah. hierarchy of academics. Yeah, when Giles gets drunk, the Scooby Gang is not sure what to mm-hmm. do. It's very much the same kind of a moment there. Mm-hmm. Just also, we, we were getting on the movie a little bit for the details about the mileage stuff. Uh, they do have a Culver University mug on the table, which is just a really nice little, um, since we've established that, that, uh, that's where, uh, Jane went. And I think it's also where, um, Dr. Bruce Banner is currently teaching at the moment. And Culver is from not, the comic. Not teaching, destroying. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> was, smashing, smashing. Was smashing teaching right. until, uh, uh, quite recently. Uh, and then you get this very nice moment of like Thor and Jane cooking together. Uh, he's, she's making the eggs. He did whatever with the toast. He's bringing them breakfast. What's happening here? It seems like such a different side of Thor. 
For me, again, this is like rehabilitated, softer, humble Thor, where he is experiencing the pride of serving. You know, Mm -hmm. that's nothing he would ever be in a position or have opportunity to do in Asgard. And here, not only is he bringing humans who he kind of sees maybe as pets in some way, food, he's got his little towel, like who told him to put the towel over his shoulder? And they're like, good job. Thanks. And he's like, I am. I am doing a good job. And Darcy (laughs) is just like so thrilled to be being waited on by this god Mm -hmm. potential god maybe she just thinks he's a hot guy but she's getting such everybody's so happy here that's what i come Mm -hmm. from yeah yeah it really seems clear that like this journey of uh of learning humility like this is the scene where we're very clear like oh oh thor's there Thor's figured it out. I mean, maybe he's figured it out amid mm. terrible despair, but like the thing Odin wanted him to learn, he has completely learned. I mean, look at that flannel. That's the clearest sign. Right? <laughs> <laughs> says someone who's actually wearing plaid flannel right now. I don't know what that says about yeah, me. Right, right. But, uh, but it's interesting because like there are certainly those, there are those meaningful glances, there are those thank yous and your welcomes. But this is a very verbally quiet scene in a movie that hasn't done that much and with a bunch of characters who by and large are pretty talkative people that was interesting to me yeah that was my first note is like we get to the quietest moment of the minute possibly like the quietest moment of the film like it's a really quiet moment like we come into this and it's just a moment of being and yeah. I, I i can't help but feel like that was very intentional by brana to have this moment like thor uh, like we talked about uh, you know a few minutes ago how thor and jane had this moment on the, the roof and thor says thank you jane and and it's like this is this moment he's finally in this place where he's able to start growing and learning and here he is doing stuff that he's never done and i just find it it's like this very kind of quiet opportunity to kind of explore this new Thor. I, I find it to be a really kind of touching moment that we have here. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. And to me, I, redemption arcs are something I really care about. On the, the Superhero Ethics podcast, we talk about it all the time. And I, I am often sort of care. Like, I don't always love the complete 180 in one moment. And I will have some more thoughts about this when we get to the deleted scene, which to me is like very much going too far into that. But it does seem fitting to me because one thing we know about Thor is Thor is not a person who does things halfway. You know, he, if he's going to do something, whatever it is, it is full steam ahead. And so I feel like it is it is fitting that he would be like, OK, now, as you said, like, if I'm going to try service, I am trying service and I'm going to do this kind of, all, you know, all the way. So it, it, it is nice to see it. It's nice just to it's almost like a found family moment. Yeah, it's like the Scooby Gang, you know, from Buffy or something like that. Or I guess Scooby Gang is actually from Scooby, not just from Buffy, but that's just how I always <laughs> mm-hmm. think of it now. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a, certainly a, a, a Joss Whedon influence to the MCU with Avengers, for better or for worse. So there's that connection yeah, to Scooby exactly. Gang. That's Scooby Gang. Definitely, for sure. And then, of course, we, we get uh, one more of these fantastic Dutch angles that Branagh loves so much as we're uh, moving across the roof. And I actually realized I, I, I jumped the gun just a little bit in my intro. We don't quite see that it's S.H.I.E.L.D. agents up there. Uh, but clearly, we you know, if you've seen the movie, we you know that we were kind of like building to that. Right, right, right. Any other kind of last comments about that shot or just the, the minute itself before we jump into the deleted scene? One thing that struck me particularly is they're in New Mexico, but... 
in this building, you would have no idea. It's actually a very light, airy, spacious, high ceilings, Ikea furniture. It looks very Scandinavian to me, actually, and like a human kind of low rent version of Asgard. And I thought that was very, it was very striking to me. It's funny. I didn't thought it's until you said that, but given how much product, I'm kind of amazed there isn't any Ikea product placement anywhere in this movie. Oh, that's a really you know? good point. Yeah. We can have a, we can have like a, a modular destroyer. Loki's just like sitting there trying to figure out how to rotate which cam to turn the destroyer on later, and he's got an umlaut over the E and destroyer. I feel like I, I remember I have been to IKEA a lot. I recently bought a house, so we have had to. Uh, and I, I have a memory that there was like some because the names are all in you know uh, uh, Swedish. Like there was some name of some like you know side table or something that had like a derivation of the word Thor or Odin or something like that in it that I, I can't place. But there, there's some connection there. Uh, all right, so we talk about the deleted scene now, and uh, the deleted scene is mostly part of what would have been mi- minute uh, seventy nine. But here we just get the the one part that connects here is. They're at breakfast, and Thor notices that there's a coffee cup. I guess not the Culver one. Well, that's no, it, nothing. Is, it is the Culver one. He it is the, the Culver, Culver one. one. Okay, yeah. that makes this a little odder even more so then. He said, can I have this cup? And he walks back over to the diner where Isabella is kind of sweeping outside, and it's closed because diners definitely don't have much breakfast business. But putting that part aside, and he says to her, like, I, I want to give you this cup because, you know, of the one that I broke. And and she looks kind of kind of surprised and says, thank you. And he says, I, I, I will come back soon for your, your very good coffee. And he says it in that very kind of formal way. And and he walks away and 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 she just sort of says, like, oh, she could do she could do worse. Uh, clearly thinking that she knows the romantic sparks that are happening there. Uh, what's your take on this scene? Is this one that would uh, would have helped the movie to have it in? It was sweet, but not essential. Like, mm-hmm. I think they kind of implied that Thor has already undergone this process. And for like the sake of brevity, I could see bringing it out. What I like is that he's like, I hope I can come back and enjoy some of your fine coffee. Like he's, he's asking for, am I still welcome after, are we good now? So yeah. I do think that's a very important beat, but I can see why they cut it. Yeah, it does. It does seem a little redundant. I I agree. Like mm-hmm. there's some nice bits there, but like we kind of already, we already get yeah. that. And I don't know, for me, I mean, the smashing the coffee cup on the floor and yelling uh, another, like that's, that's a good joke. And I feel like going to uh it's a good humorous moment and coming back to it too much almost takes away from it a little bit i think that's all true i do like that he kind of says coffee as though that's her own creation which is kind <laughs> yes. of a fun little moment right mm-hmm. I, I think for me though and I, i'm probably looking too deep into a movie that is not quite asking for this but like as i mentioned i love redemption stories you know and and my favorite ones are ones like zuko from avatar the last airbender where one of the points is your character has the aha moment, that moment of like, I cannot be the person I used to be. I have to change. But but 20 years of personality shaping don't change overnight. And it is it does take some like, you know, a gradual thing. And granted, this is not quite the deep peering into the soul that is Zuko from from Avatar or some of those other stories. But I, I guess to me, it, it, it rang a little false. You know, it I feel like it would have been... Thor's story is going to be still some like, oh, okay, I need more. Oh, wait, being more humble means also, okay, I guess that was wrong too. You know, there would be that gradual thing. And this just seems like it, he hasn't had a complete personality change in in overnight. Mm-hmm. And also, and I mean, no disrespect to the woman that played Isabella, but 
it is an awkward scene. The the dialogue yeah. pacing is just weird. And I'm sure, you know, if it had been a scene they'd kept in, maybe it would have gotten a couple more pass-throughs, but it kind of took me out of it. That's that's for me is is really I mean all of these are reasons I'm glad it's not in here but I mean Adriana Barraza she's a great actress and again why did they cast her in this to not give her anything to do I mean she's just wasted in this particular role and then in this particular scene it's like it's like she acts like she's scared almost that Thor approached her and surprised her from behind to give her this mug and the whole scene plays so strangely and just yeah. the dialogue everything is rough and and so yeah I'm glad that they opted to to not use this at least in its existing form it just it it doesn't play well and on some level that fear would like Here's this very large man who committed this, like, random act of destruction of your property, and now he's coming back. I wouldn't be like, oh, it's fine. I'd be like, if I say the wrong thing, he's going to break something again. How do I get out of this conversation as fast as possible? Well, that's what makes it so weird is, like, she goes from, like, being surprised and like, oh, oh, thank you, like, at the beginning of the moment to as he walks away, she could do worse. It's like. Where was that change for you? Like, you know, it's, a, it's such a strange switch for her to to make in this particular very brief scene. So, yeah, it just it just doesn't work. Makes sense. All right. Well, from either of you, any other last things about this minute we wanted to, to get into? I mean, now I'm hungry for breakfast food. But aside from that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. All right. Well, to both of you again, thank you so much. Um, Where else if people are wanting to, like, get more Miles or Elizabeth content? Like, you've talked about the two podcasts. Is there a place? Are you on social media that you're active? Other things that folks can check out? What more part of your private lives do you want to expose to our fans? <laughs> uh, well, we are on Twitter for our Thor show, our, our long completed but still excellent Thor show, uh, at, at The Lightning And. Uh, and for my X Men show, Jay and Miles Explain the X Men, that's on at Explain the X Men. There's no E at the beginning of that because X Men puns. Uh, and Elizabeth, I know you're active on social media yourself as well, right? I am. I mean, if you mostly want to see pictures of my daughter and food, because I'm also in the food <laughs> industry, I'm at Wibabit on Instagram, which I bet if you just search Elizabeth Alley Instagram, you'll get to it easier than trying to spell that. And I do guest fairly regularly on Panel on Panels, which is at don'tadjustyourninja.com. Awesome, awesome. Definitely worth checking out. Thank you both so much. Looking forward to finishing up this week. And as always, thank you for everything you do. And to our fans, uh, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. 